hello again, smoothies all over the world. It's the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour, coming to you from Dallas, Texas. I'm your host, Jason Rutledge. Uh, thinking back on that, is the smoothies thing okay? I mean, we kind of should have asked first about that. Uh, we'll work on it. We'll brainstorm something, it'll be great. Looking for something that looks good on a coffee mug and t-shirt? Don't worry about it, we'll get it right. So anyway, it's episode 5, and this time we're talking about Gus Van Zant's pioneering film, My Own Private Idaho. It is a visually stunning and innovative piece of filmmaking, and it stands really as a vital part of what later became known as the new queer cinema movement. If you haven't seen this movie yet, pause the episode right here, go watch it, come back later, we'll be waiting for you. Cool? Okay. Nathan and Katie are here to talk about this groundbreaking movie. We tried to get Mike or Scotty, but no luck. We even tried to get Bob himself, but no dice. We even tempted him with a bottle of wine we found in the park, but he just wasn't having it. I'm afraid if I shared your wine, I might catch this awful disease you appear to have. My jacket would grow little zippers all over it, and my toes would have jingle bells on them, like those there. Ow! It's going away. So anyway, we are talking about uh, Dragon Skin, the band from Miami Connection. <laughs> Dragon Sound. Oh, started. Dragon, <laughs> Dragon Sound. Dragon Skin is a scale. Dragon Evidently, sound. you saw a performance where they so, had their shirts off. Skins. Maybe. Dragon Sound was the name yeah, of the Yeah, Dragon Sound. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What is happening? Katie. Well, Katie, you've seen Miami Connection by now, right? What do you think? Peter Billingsley was on Real People from 82 to 84. <laughs> We're back to okay. real people. Perfect. So Miami yes. Connection is something I need to see? Well, no, because there's this whole subplot of Miami Connection where they're trying to find their fathers and they run to the mailbox every every other scene to see if the letter has come yet that tells them who their father is. Ooh, and it kind I... of reminded me of the search for the mother in my own private Idaho. It's just like Miami Connection. Oh, yeah. Just yeah, like yeah. a Miami... Like a Miami-Idaho connection. A, right. A Idaho right. connection, if you will. You're living in your own private Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, you need to experience Miami connection. You okay, really do. Okay, it's on the list. Okay, yeah. I know the director, though. Because personally? I want to say... Yes, personally. We hang out all the time. That's cool. I want to say he works... Right down the street from you? I'm going to mm. hit you next time I see you. No, I'm thinking of someone else. Never mind. I feel like I'm going to get pummeled. When this pandemic's over, you just wait. You got some fisticuffs coming your direction. Jason, I'm about to type. I'm sorry. Carry on typing, Keanu's nipples. Keanu's right nipples. Here waiting for you. I was telling him before you got <laughs> back into the... It's weird that he could uh... type them with his, with his nipples. <laughs> I know. You got, before you got back into the uh, chat thing with us, I was telling him about how um, I watched the atrocity... Thing. That was knock knock, and how you never saw Keanu's nipples once in that. So I was very refreshed that you got to see them in this film. Do you refresh that I got to see them in I was. this film? Oh, okay. You don't okay. have to be. Well, you, you don't know. Jason, you okay? I, I don't recall it being all that refreshing, but if you say so. Hey, we all like what we like. What was that uh, magazine cover that he, he was on in it? What was the name of he it? He was. On teen Beat? Hmm? The fake magazine cover in the yeah. movie? I think it was a teen. I think it was a, supposed to be a knockoff of Teen Beat or something like that. Oh, no, they were all porn no, no, mags. No, no, no. no. That was a porn on <laughs> that's, that's right. It's way off of Tiger Beat. <laughs> I'm not remembering that one as well as I thought I did. When did you watch it? You said two weeks ago? No, the, I'm talking about the magazine. 
One was called Butch. I remember that. Something. His was something male. Mall, uh, I'm looking at it. His was Mail Call, but M A L. There we go. Clever. Also, did you, yeah. have you did you ever? Um, I love the way that those were filmed because the, it was too expensive to do CGI. So all of the fake magazine stuff was made out of plexiglass, and mm-hmm. they held it in front of them to make it look like a magazine cover. Oh, it's 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 a great sequence, and mm-hmm. it, it just it's oh I loved it. It looks amazing. Yeah, Joy Boy Katie, is my favorite. Like- <laughs> would you like to would you like to introduce the show, Katie? We haven't gotten to that yet. Really? Are you doing this to me in a recording? <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. Edited. You've heard enough of these. You've heard enough of these. You know how it goes. We'll yeah, start you off. Welcome it's everybody. Not until like ten, fifteen minutes in, but I'll back off. You go. Welcome everybody to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour, coming to you from Old East Dallas. My name is Katie, and I picked this movie. This was actually one of your ideas. Mm-hmm. What drew, what drew you into my own private Idaho? Why'd you pick this one? I just heard a lot about it, and I wanted to see it. So I figured, normally, if it's something I haven't seen, and you put it on the list for the podcast, then I have to, mm-hmm. list, I have to watch it. So. Ah, I see. And out so of everything like... I threw your way, I'm kind of surprised this is the one. I didn't realize you picked this one because of me. She wanted to do The Land Before Time 2, and you, didn't, you weren't interested. Oh, yeah. More of a Land Before Time 3 kind of guy. You know? I like 15. I haven't seen any of them. I don't really care. Yeah, there's like 16 of those things, right? At the first stage. one's great. I, I think, think they're still happening, actually. I think there's 16 of them. The original would be the best. The original one is great. Yeah. <laughs> I like how we've just hijacked this episode. <laughs> Going into Land Before Time territory. I didn't even realize I hijacked... <laughs> There's a look that Jason had where he just settles into it. He's like, fuck, that's where we're going. Yeah, it's over. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) So you hadn't seen My Private Idaho before this. I hadn't seen it since, uh, probably since it was in theaters way back. When it was a 1991, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something like that. You saw it on a, a double feature with Terminator 2, Judgment Day, is what I remember you telling me. Yeah, it was a weird bit of programming, but yeah, that's what it did. This movie came in at a really interesting time because we were getting this big wave of truly independent films, not like what we have now where like Universal Pictures has their independent film division or what the hell ever. These were really just people that put money on their credit cards and went out and made a movie. We got uh, Clerks was one of those at right about this time, Mm -hmm. I think. A few years later, yeah. And it was also part of what became known as uh, New Queer Cinema. New Queer Cinema from New Line Cinema. Mm Mm-hmm. Fine Line Features. This is when they were truly independent. This was before right. Ted Turner had bought New Line Cinema. And going a few years later, the outcry that he had with the Fine Line Features film, David Cronenberg's Crash, which kind of... I still need to see that. Before he sold that off, he sold off Turner Entertainment to Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. and that's how they ended up owning New Line Cinema. But yeah, this was back when they were still the house that Freddie built in terms of they were completely independent. And they had the subdivision, Fine Line Features, which pumped out quite a few prolific independent films at that time. Wasn't Fine Line putting out John Waters' movies by then? They reissued, yeah, because New Line had already done, distributed those back in the day, but they had reissued, like, Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, a few Mm -hmm. of those. But they had also done a really great movie called Bodies Rest in Motion that very few people even know about. Did they, I'm trying to think, there was another one that was pretty damn cool that I remember watching over and over again. 
escapes me at the moment. But anyway, they were they were one of the earliest forces in the '90s as far as independent stuff, and that's taking an independent company and having a subdivision of the independent company. That's how independent Mm -hmm. they were. I couldn't find any solid budget numbers for this, but it's right around two and a half million dollars, which is a huge amount of money for making a movie like this. That's a hell of a gamble. It made a profit. It made, I think, triple its money back when it hit the theaters because it was just something so different than what we had gotten before. Like, Paris is Burning had, I think, had come out the year before. It, it pushed a lot of more stuff out that may not have been able to get out otherwise. My Own Private Idaho maybe being one of those. This was the type of movie where, when we talk about new queer cinema, we're talking about movies that featured sexuality, but not as a focus of the story. It was just there and normalized and okay, rather than being, this is what the movie's about. This movie's not about that. It's, it's about family. It's about a subculture lifestyle that we now see becoming more mainstream, which is hustling for every dollar you can get based on everything, anything you can do to get it. If they made this movie now, all these guys might be driving for Uber. Who knows? Instead of yeah, it wouldn't be that exciting. Parked in a hotel, it wouldn't <laughs> I don't know. be that I exciting. I think that but... there is still a very strong um, presence of sex work to survive, even in mm-hmm. 2021. Like I feel like a lot of what is portrayed in this film is definitely still valid and still happening now. Yeah, that's why it is the oldest profession. It it'll always exist. You mm-hmm. know? And I like how, like you said, it isn't the main focal point of it it's just there it's just happening it's Mm. never uh it's never like harped on or just made weird like it's like this is their life this is how they exist Mm. and i thought it was done pretty tastefully you're living in their world for about an hour Mm -hmm. and 45 minutes and it just Mm -hmm. happens to Mm. be that profession but there is like jason's saying there's there's all these other avenues the film takes that that's just like one that's like the backdrop basically but speaking of living in their world, this brings me to the character of Scotty, played by Keanu Reeves and his nipples. Mm-hmm. Scotty's a tourist. Scotty is not necessarily a part of this life. He doesn't have to be. Oh, no, he's doing it to rebel. He <laughs> says at some point he's going to return and be good again because that's what he wants to do. Like, this is just a, a side stop. It's sort of like a C. Thomas Howell in Soul Man. He can get into this, <laughs> but then he can get out <laughs> Sorry, Nathan. <laughs> he can get out of it anytime he so, wants, right? Go ahead, Nathan. What? Well, let's something? be honest. He can't really get out of that. <laughs> I'm a soul man. It's there forever. That's an interesting comparison. Anyway. Of course. That's why I'm here. But it would surprise me a little bit about this is I'm not sure we're supposed to like the character. He is kind of a kind oh, of an Scotty? asshole in this movie. Scott? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. don't feel like you're meant to like him at all. Especially when all this stuff like goes anyone, down. Really. You know, I don't know. I feel like it's Mm. easiest to feel for Mike out of the two main guys. I mean, clearly, Mm. I feel like Mike is our main character. Yeah. If you're going to have to just pick one. But like you find yourself feeling similar with him with to Scotty in the beginning. And then you find out, oh, he's basically from money and he's just doing this to rebel. And then the whole scene at the restaurant at the end really makes you be like, well, fuck this dude. Like. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, honestly, I didn't like him when he left Mike in 
Italy in the or yard. wherever. Yeah. Well, yeah. when he, I didn't like him when he left Mike in the yard and just said, "Wipe the slugs off your face." And well, like he said, though, it was yeah. safer for him to be Rich there, neighborhood, yeah, passed out than mm-hmm. it would be on the streets where they were beforehand. So at least I understand his thought process there. It may no, have not been nice, but... He is his friend in those moments, believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially in the... Fr- well, throughout the movie, and I think things get weird at that little campfire sequence where mm-hmm. Mike professes that he like, does yeah. love him. Yeah, and he goes, mm-hmm. I'm only, I only have sex with themselves. men for, yeah. you know, for money, and that's the only reason I do it. But sure. he is also compassionate in that moment, but... There's, I think that's where the, the fissure happens, or, or not fissure, Jesus. Fissure happens. <laughs> God dang. The refrigerator uh, happens. In, in the relationship, which you feel, and that's where, to Katie's point, is you relate better to the Mike character because we've all been in that scenario where you mm. profess to f- have feelings for Unrequited someone. love is a bitch. <laughs> yeah, and it's a one-sided love affair. Especially when you're as vulnerable as Mike is. Yeah. Because there's a whole other just group of issues there besides having those feelings for Scott. Yeah. The narcolepsy being one of those things. Yeah, he's a mess. I can't he remember. Really is, yeah. I really don't remember any other movie portraying narcolepsy before I saw this. Not in a serious uh, Not in a serious way. Yes, plot there are somewhere. Yeah. Uh, like, I thought of one movie, but I'm not even going to reference that. No, go for it. Because it's Juice usually Bigelow? in comedies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it okay. is always pr- approached hey, at well, male I mean, prostitution. Think, Night, there <laughs> you go. It just goes hand in hand. But there is, like you said, well, there, it's almost instances. like <laughs> whenever there is a, a disability being shown, it always yeah. tends to be in a more comedic manner yeah. than in a, a serious way. Yeah. The, the way it was handled here reminded me of the way they dealt with Tourette's syndrome in Niagara Niagara with Robin Tunney. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's done in a very serious way. Wow. And not in a joking fashion at all. And I, I think those. Henry Thomas, right? I forgot about exactly. that movie. Yeah, it was Henry Thomas. Yeah. Uh, Robin That's Tony. a great movie. Yeah. I love Henry Thomas. I haven't seen it in ages, but yeah, it was along that similar line. Yeah. Mikey is a mess. Yeah. He, his only real friend is Scott, which is a damn shame. Or Walt. Because. Or Walt. <laughs> maybe, not Bob. Certainly not Bob, although Bob has a nice bathrobe, but that's about all he has going for him. Well, I don't know. I think there's a connection with Bob, though. Bob? Bob gives oh, a is shit. Bob the guy in, and he gives the 10 bucks. That's Bob, right? No, that's Walt. Then mm-hmm. Bob, Bob, do we ever see Bob's bathroom? Oh, yeah. He wears it in the clip toward the middle of the movie where he's talking to Scotty. The whole thing goes very Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. And Bob is talking about how Scotty has corrupted him and he hasn't seen the yeah, inside I of a church in years. I just don't remember there being a bathroom. Oh, nope. Okay. Yeah, yeah he's I wearing a killer blue bathrobe the entire time. Bathrobe. <laughs> I kept hearing bathroom. You've corrupted me, Scotty. I was an innocent before I met you. And now look at me. Just a little better than wicked. I used to be a virtuous man. <laughs> well, virtuous enough. I swore a little. I never gambled more than seven times a week. Poker? I never picked up a street boy more than once a quarter. An hour? <laughs> An hour. Bad company has corrupted me. Be darned if I haven't forgotten what the inside of a church looks like. <laughs> I see a change for Bob to make. From stealing to preaching. Stealing is my vocation, Scott. 
it's not a sin for a man Oops. to labor his vocation. No, he and doesn't wear a like, bathroom. We see Hans's bathroom and we see Walt's bathroom, mm. but we never it's see Bob's bathroom. It's a deleted scene that Katie didn't catch. But that's catch. why I was confused. <laughs> he's homeless and he, owns, he has a bathroom. No. But technically, when you're homeless, everywhere's your bathroom. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. If you have the DVD, there's like a three-second deleted clip of that bathroom. It's astonishing. <laughs> it's, it doesn't make any sense, so they just cut it. Such cut a non-sequitur. I'd hate to harp on Scotty, but did anybody else think it a bit weird? Because they do meant the other characters talk about him like he's going to save them from this life. Well, that's it because comes up I a feel like he promised that to them. But they never call him out on it. They never call him out for not really being one of them. And he isn't. Right. But nobody ever confronts him with it. And I'm not sure why that is. It what seems a bit mean? weird to me. Well, that's why it's such a slap in the you. face at the end when... Yeah, in the in the scene in the restaurant in the thriller jacket, and uh, I must turn my back on you now. I feel like some of it is they're not going to call him out on too much because if he's saying, "Hey, I'll give you all of this," mm. you can only take him for his word, and if you call him out on it, then that's going to risk him being willing to help you in the end. It's all goes Did back he to. Them? Did I mean, he, he didn't out and out say it, but he pretty much. There was the scene with Bob where he was basically mm -hmm. like, yeah, in a week's time, I'll have my inheritance, yada, yada, mm -hmm. yada. You know, it's I never explicitly said, but I think it's kind of like what Jason's saying, where if somebody wins the lottery, all of a sudden you people come out of the woodwork yeah. and they oh, think yeah. that they're, oh, well, we're good friends. I'll get something out of this, <laughs> right? And I think a lot of it is them pining for that more so than him saying, this is, I'm going to take care of you mm -hmm. guys. Well, that's why I was glad at the end when he's saying like, oh, I don't know you. I'm glad it still went to the part where he was like, you are a part of my past. Like he didn't full mm -hmm. on say, right. oh, I don't know these people. Right, right. He did say, you taught me a lot. I did love you more than my dad, but I'm not at that point anymore. I'm somebody different now. One other reason I brought it up is because there's, there's a visual cue in the movie as they're on their way to Idaho to try to find Mikey's mom. They briefly pass by a road sign, if you noticed it, that says, warning to tourists not to laugh at the natives. Yeah. I can't think of any other reason for that to really be there necessarily, unless they're call unless that's the movie calling deliberate. him out. Yeah. What if it's it actually is. there? Like, for real? That would be pretty amazing, and I would really want to know the story it behind looks, that. It looks too <laughs> deliberate for it to be there, though. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel like hmm. it was, I mean, I could be wrong, but it looks like it was made for the production. I also liked the little bit they did at the beginning when they're going to Grace Zabriskie's house when Mikey is meeting Grace Scotty Zabriskie. and I yeah. can't remember the other guy, but they briefly pass by because the three guys are in the room and she walks in and briefly passes by a painting on a wall of three rabbits. And I thought, oh, this will be an interesting theme if they, but they kind of dropped it after that. I never saw it again. Yeah. The sign is real. Oh my God. What is the story behind this thing? I have to know why this was put up. Um, Who ruined this for everybody and laughed at the natives too many times? And they had to put up a giant ass sign me. on the side of the road. Um, There's got to be something. I guess I should have read all that before. But it is, it is the large <laughs> all-caps message plastered across a yellow tarpaulin background was the last trace of civilization civilization before entering Wyoming. The sign baffled Bill and I as many questions arose pertaining to its origin. Where's this coming from? It's evidently entering Wyoming. So it's not even in Idaho. It's oh, just on now. their journey. 
It evidently has to do with the people who live there are just keen on being who they are and they don't want to be, I guess, laughed at. I gotta know what these people are up to now. I mean, when I see a street sign in Oklahoma that says hitchhikers may be escaping inmates, I get that. This one, <laughs> I, I thought it had to be fake. There's no way that's a real thing. But you're saying it's real? It's out there? That's... And it's on the road to Wyoming? It's an invitation for tomfoolery. But it is real. Wow. Well, that's because the one statue that's in the film, too, is actually real. Um, the person that's on top of it isn't real, and that he, right. Gus Van Zandt, added that fake. later. Yeah. But, so that's why I was like, maybe the sign is actually real. Speaking of Gus Van Zandt, this guy has had an amazing body of work over the years. Uh, Drugstore Cowboy is one of my favorites. I think that's the one he did right before this. Yeah. The only but film of his that I have seen was Elephant. Elephant's the, a good one. Um, yeah. To Die For, also outstanding. I think Buck Henry wrote that one. Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Yeah. yeah. Psycho, Uma Thurman, 98. Is that as, mm. like, I know people who... Did he really write that one, though, Nathan? <laughs> uh, under the guise of Joseph Stefano. Yeah, no. Did he actually direct it either, really? You it know, comes down to it. I had an issue with him when he did that. I really did, because... A lot of people had an issue with him when he did that. He just came off of Goodwill Hunting, and he could have mm. done anything, and that's actually why he did it was he had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted and i despised that movie for the longest time and i've since made peace with it in the sense that it's completely experimental and gus mm -hmm. van sant as far as we know has never been a commercial director i mean he's never said i'm gonna make this movie to make millions of dollars that was not the right. intent behind that film but the reason why i have a, a descent towards it more than anything is the fact that that was like a sacred cow. Once that was remade, that was the same. Within a year's span, there was three Hitchcock remakes. That was one of them. Dial M oh, for yeah, Murder as a perfect murder and also Rear Window. Robert Forster being in two of them, he's killing me. You know, I love the guy. And I'm like, damn it, I got to watch these. <laughs> what year did oh, the wow. Psycho, what did, did Psycho come 98. out? 98. But yeah. once so you think of it. there's been multiple remakes of Rear Window? Because wasn't Disturbia also a remake of Rear no, Window? No, that's just kind of a ripoff. You can look oh, okay. at Disturbia's like Body Double or Fright Night, mm -hmm. actually. Okay. It's probably more akin to those, which those are inspired by Rear Window. Okay, fair enough. That would make a, go a really interesting double feature. It'd be Hitchcock's Rear Window and Body Double. Cause yeah. They're, they're similar, but very, very oh, different. They, yeah, they just, the concept <laughs> is there, but they go in different directions for sure. One of them has Frankie Goes to Hollywood. One does not have Frankie and, Goes to yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, and that's example. only because they weren't around when Hitchcock was making Rear Window. <laughs> is that it, really? But um, he was like, I want to get them for the soundtrack. And everybody's like, relax, they don't exist yet. <laughs> Never mind, that was bad. Anyway, um, what was I talking about before this? Oh, anyway, I don't uh, know. The Psycho remake for me was like because okay. that was the first modern horror film, really, was Psycho. And once that got remade in '98, mm. every modern horror film became remake worthy at that point because mm. the so you one think sacred that's what cow. Set it, off? it was the catalyst, yeah. even though it was not a commercial success. It was like, holy shit, we're remaking Psycho now. Now what can we remake? And, it's like uh, the the pinnacle of horror. And then much. once it got remade, it just made everything else for grabs, basically. Yeah. It didn't. Then it didn't have hmm. the sacredness to it. No, and it was almost like the Citizen Kane of horror films, even though that hasn't been remade, but there's reasons why it hasn't. Um, hmm. But, yeah, so once he did that, I was like, man, you lost me. And I, I wasn't a fan for a good while. 
And then I've since gone back and made peace with it, and I'm cool with it because there's so many great actors in it. You can't, and it's a totally experiment. I mean, he did what every director wanted to do, kind of do a shot for shot recreation. Everyone's obsessed with Psycho, you know, so it's mm -hmm. understandable. I mean, wouldn't you like to do a shot for shot if you could, just for the hell of it, experimentally, just to walk in those shoes? That's what he did as a large form experiment. So anyway, that's my piece on it. Mm. Okay. Boring. <laughs> well, I, I knew you weren't a huge fan of Gus Van Zandt. And I now liked I him see very why. early on, and mm -hmm. I've come around to him like from Milk onward. Even though there was a lot of potential in Milk that he didn't explore, and that's I wanted subplots Sad. that should have been there to explain a lot of the context of the scenarios. But I get that it's a biopic. You're gonna just give the. He sure. definitely covers a lot of um, interesting things with his films. Like, he doesn't tend to, it tends to be very similar stories tonally, if that makes sense. Now, granted, I have only ever seen Elephant and now this. But well, yeah, he definitely has a tonal style mm -hmm. to his films. And he definitely, it tends to be, a, it looks, just by looking at his filmography, a lot of stuff that has um, LGBT stuff in it, or mm -hmm. maybe topics that the average person wouldn't necessarily want to broach, like with the, the male prostitution in this, and then... The, the school shooters with elephant and things like that. So it just, I don't know. They seem to have a similar tone to them. Do we have any theories about what happened to M Mikey's mom? They never mention it specifically. We know the dad's gone and he goes off to find his mother, but it's never made specific about why she bugged out or why they might've, why she might've gone to Italy. I mean, it could be perceived as, was there any clues? I feel like she didn't, didn't want to be found. Right. I feel like that's evident. Like, so it could have just been kind of like they were doing themselves, just living your life wherever it takes you. Mm. Yeah. Nathan, you... I concur. Any theories? Any... Yeah, that's concur? right, Senator. And what are we to make of Hans, as played by the mag Udo mighty magnificent Udo lamp. Kier, the guy who can drive, yeah. the, the magic car that shows yeah. up right it's, when you need it's it It's really every funny time. because watching this movie, it made me think of a 2005 film called Breakfast on Pluto which has Killian Murphy and Brendan Gleeson, yeah. and it's about a transgendered woman who basically sells herself because she's trying to find her mom, and there is the magical man in the car, played by Brendan Gleeson, who picks him up and saves him from himself, or saves her from herself, and... Now, how could that yeah, possibly have reminded you of this? But it just, it really, um... It was just, I don't... Hmm. It's, it's just funny how the parallels are there with the man in the car to save the day, yeah. and... Well, it even happens at the end of the movie when Mike is just abandoned on the road and we just, in that long shot he at the end, get that guy that just comes by. And yeah. Mm -mm. We don't know who this is. They pick him up, take him away. Or just We'd somebody like that's good Hans, at least. It was like, car. So we don't, don't necessarily... intentioned yeah. And the sad part as as is, know. is knowing <laughs> the life of River Phoenix and where it ended for him and all. It's like watching this movie mm. is even kind of more sad because it's like... It, there are there are parallels there, and I'm not saying that River Phoenix like it's prophetic, yeah. right? It's just it's it's definitely it just it it leaves a lingering mm. sadness. This is the only movie I've ever seen with River Phoenix in it. There is I've never seen Stand by Me or anything like that. So it was it was interesting that this was my my first movie of his, knowing how his life went. Well, this was 
the introduction for a lot no, of Stand by Me or Explorers. Were, yeah. So you're not alone on that one. Or earlier, we were talking about Bob, but William Rickert's uh, A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon. He looked very familiar to me, but I have not seen him in anything. I also like that they asked Dennis Hopper to do that role, and he said no. Wait, Bob? He wanted a lead role or nothing. Oh, that's right. Oh, the Bob character? Mm-hmm. Oh. That would have mm-hmm. been a very different movie. Yeah, but that would be, be kind of interesting. Had they gotten him. Especially if it no if question. it's as Shakespearean as as it <laughs> was, or would I could just see him just doing like an Apocalypse Now more. type mm-hmm. speech, just going off the rails and Nicholas Hammond. Oh, never mind. <laughs> what? The... <laughs> what? No, no, not Nicholas Hammond. <laughs> Spider-Man. Where did Nicholas Hammond come into this? You're looking up, are you scaling the walls or something? You're, you <laughs> looked upward. Well, yeah. Any rate, any rate, Udo Kier is a good guy, okay. and he orders four <laughs> orders of large fries and a Coke. Crispy, yeah. crispy yeah, crispy, you know, anything you want. Yeah, but crispy anyway, fries. we were talking about Bob. William Rickert played him. Dennis Hopper was considered, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think he gives a really good performance, so William Rickert's great in this, and the connection he had with River Phoenix prior obviously lent itself here. I don't know if it, if this film was a favor, mm-hmm. like, hey, I know a guy, and he'd be perfect for this, or what, to play this character, but, yeah. I want to say he was brought on first. Rickert had an interesting Rickert career. Rickert was brought on first, and I think that that is how they subsequently got River Phoenix in it, if I remember Oh, I thought it was the other way around. I thought they went to River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves first, and that's where they got. Once they signed on the budget. Who really knew who Keanu Reeves was? He had some great success at that point. I did. I didn't know I did, but I did. He was in my heart. The first, both Bill and Ted movies were out by this point, right? Yeah. But knowing Bill and Ted, would you have picked that guy for this movie? Well, if you look at like movies like Permanent Records and his earlier films, I mean, he could definitely could do it. I said it backwards. Richter, whatever his last name was, was recommended by River Phoenix. Okay, well, that role. makes sense. That's what I was thinking. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And he's perfect in this. But he had an interesting yeah. career. He did uh, the one movie, he did a couple movies with Jeff Bridges that he directed, uh, The American Success Company, which to this day, I don't believe has ever gotten an official home video release. I've and never Winter seen Kills that one. is uh, another one. Winter Kills, I've heard of. But great. I mean, it's definitely cult territory, as is Private Idaho. And Jimmy Reardon is, yeah. too, if you think about it, which was based on a book that Rickard wrote. So really interesting how he ends up in this. But And I don't know enough about him. I would think he was probably more stage-oriented as an actor. Maybe I'm wrong, because his performance in this certainly mm. is telling Lends that, itself yeah, to that. I mean... He'd be perfect in, if he was doing Henry the Fourth or the Fifth or whatever, you know. Sawyer. We also get James Russo yeah. in this movie as Richard. Cotton Club, American Strays, Once Upon a Time in America. China Girl. He's done a lot of great movies. And he's one of those, he's one of those actors you could, Ninth Gate, by the way. Remember? That's a great movie. That the uh, he's movie? in that briefly. Yeah. Ninth Gate? Yeah. The Johnny Depp movie? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. By the way, my disheveled look is in tribute to James Russo, by the way, in case you were wondering. <laughs> I thought so. I was going to say something, but, you know. <laughs> and I have all these paintings that I do, and sometimes the customers don't come to pick them up, and I keep them around because they keep me company. Oh. Anyway. It's so sad. 
How do we all feel about the trip to Italy in this movie? Did it feel kind of egregious or weird or out of place? Yeah. It felt kind of out of place to me. It's it's a, it's a bit of it's bit more of a lark than the rest of the movie. I don't it know. Seems, I just because it's a grander scale, maybe. I think it showed the desperation he yeah. had to find his mom. That he would go to any length. Yeah. Like just going to California or somewhere else in the U.S. doesn't have, I feel, the impact of going to a whole different country. Like it shows just the desperation and everything. Yeah. I, maybe it's the maybe it felt out of place to me because this movie does have that feel of being three different movies kind of stuck together. In a way, you have this Shakespearean film that it kind of come becomes at some points and then it comes back out of that again and becomes a different movie yeah. and a, this thing with Scotty feels like another movie sort of in a way has it just to have I think a different it parallels and maybe that's why it's uh, sticking I think out it for parallels me. Mike's existence because it's everywhere. It's all over the place, you know? Yeah. I, and it kind of, mm-hmm. whereas the Keanu mm-hmm. character, he definitely has a plan in place. Mike does not. And he has a choice. Right. Yeah. Like Scott is, I'm doing this because I want to, and I want to rebel and I want to do this and be shocking. Whereas it also shows the, the other side <laughs> of, there are some people that this is the only options they have in their lives. Like, to have any sort of sustainability. Mm-hmm. And I like that they showed it in the U.S. as well as in another country because it isn't limited to just people here. Yeah. It is something that impacts It's the human condition, everywhere. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot of that in that great scene at the diner where we're just one-on-one mm-hmm. conversations with a lot of the minor characters that we never hear from yeah. telling their stories about what's been going their on with them and what happened to them. And it's all... It's all spoken of as very normal, very matter of fact, like, yeah, I got beat up by this guy. Then we did this other thing over here. They're not making a big deal of it. It's just, yep, that's the way it and is. And the sad that's the part way my is, life goes. is even now, like maybe in the last couple of years with the Me Too movement and things like that, things are coming around. It's almost like those attacks and those instances of rape and things like that. It's almost expected if you're going to work in that. Whereas mm. now it is becoming more of a, it needs to be a safer workspace because sex work is work. It isn't something that should be frowned upon. It is something that should be treated just like any other job. And it should have its safeties and regulations too, just like anything else. Yeah. So, I mean, they, it's, they put their life on the line mm-hmm. and that's the sad reality. And it's of like it. the one yeah. guy, he's like, that was my first date. And I didn't really do anything again until possibly a year later. And it's sad because they probably do turn to it because they need to survive and to live and to maintain. And being that he had the bad experience, mm-hmm. then that, that took that whole year out of his life where he may have not been making money or things like that to be able to live his life. It has a good commentary on prostitution and sex work and things like that. Like it didn't yeah. demean it. It didn't use it as a shocking thing. It didn't. It's just it, matter it of fact. handled yeah. very well. Yeah. Especially. Mm-hmm. Back then. And I felt, yeah, because it was uh, it was almost like a, a taboo subject oh, at the time, mm-hmm. you know. But I, well, I actually then, wish that they had explored more of that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I like those uh, interviews. And that, that sequence reminds me, especially with Flea being in this movie, it reminds me of Penelope Spheris's work. With, like, not in this type of realm, but obviously with, like, the decline of Western civilization mm-hmm. and the very capsulized interviews. Part three in particular. And... Yeah. 
I was like, okay, I could I could get into this as a documentary now if we go into mm-hmm. that turf. And then it gets back mm. into the Shakespearean roots a little bit and kind of throws things off. And I was like, oh, you know. But that's the stream of consciousness that I think this film is. And I think the title lends itself mm. to that as well. You're everywhere and anywhere at once, I guess, you know. I also like that it evidently was marketed totally different when the marketing was done. Like, they made it a point to show, I was reading this on IMDb, Keanu's character and River's character with women, like, in all of the marketing, so people wouldn't know that it was. And it's interesting because going into this today, I knew nothing about it, so I didn't know that it was about what it was about. So it, it did catch me off guard, but not, like, in a bad way, but it's like, oh, I had no idea... A, that it was that, or a retelling of Henry V. So it was like, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, you don't feel as tricked as we did with the cover for Dead End Drive-In, though, for example, which told you absolutely nothing that was supposed to be about this movie. At least that it featured true. the two actors well, in this case. Well, at least case. the poster art is a road movie, and that's really what this movie is, if you think about it, deep down. It's just a, a coming-of-age mm-hmm. road movie, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And it is. But like, I don't even remember the marketing this, yeah. that she's describing, but I could totally get it because they were both heartthrobs, especially River Phoenix. People thought mm-hmm. of him, they regarded him as like the next James Dean. That's a bit of a giant leap, but he was definitely. He no, was, he, he had that. He had that yeah. anchor hung around his neck the whole time. Was, he was you're the, it be the guy. next James Dean. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that well. Yeah. It's going to suck. Like, to be coming up in Hollywood and having like you already put on a pedestal before you even really can super make a name for yourself Mm -hmm. because yeah, he was known, but it's like, he was still coming up through being told all of that. It has to give you a complex, like, and not necessarily in a good way. And he was also a child actor and transitioning into a, an adult role based career, you know, untested waters for him. So, Whatever he That's did, rough. it was yeah. like under a spyglass. People were examining every movie made. Now I have a question, and this is just because I don't really, it wasn't until later. What, did Joaquin Phoenix also do films at that age, or was yeah, he, he more Yeah, he was a child later, actor. Okay. Leaf Phoenix. Okay. He was in movies like Space Camp and throughout okay. the 80s. But, he was, but it know. was, they were still doing stuff. It's not like River was in existence before Joaquin got his footing in it. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure what the Space Camp was, was 86. Yeah. Same year as Stand By Me. The earliest mm-hmm. for me in my memory of River Phoenix is Explorers the year before that. But I mean, both of them could have been done in television mm-hmm. work, commercials, obviously, you know. Yeah, it was concurrent almost. Okay. And then, of course, Joaquin is in To Die For. Yeah. And that was kind that of like is. the 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 solidification of his career in terms of, oh, we need to take this guy seriously now. I do love the concept back to the James Dean thing. Supposedly it is, I'm not sure who this quote is from. Oh, Gus Van Zandt. um, He said that he believed that he actually died without ever having seen a James Dean movie, which is really interesting considering he was always compared to that. Well, maybe he intentionally resisted that. It's a possibility. You know? Actors do that, that a lot. Be, they don't want to be influenced. Right. You know. Well, especially influenced by this guy they were raised telling when you, you you're supposed to be. When you just want to be your own individual. That's why I asked about the, sure. the uh, like Joaquin Phoenix and all. Because I feel like 
Because is, is he, he's the older brother, correct? Or is River older? River's older. Or was older. Oh, see, didn't know that. Never mind. Because I was yeah. thinking like living in footsteps. Like it can't be a, a good mm. feeling in Hollywood. But if he was older, then it didn't matter. Yeah. Okay, we talked about Gus Van Zandt. Mentioned Grace Zabriskie. Who's Terror. Grace Zabriskie? She's a terrific character yeah. actor. Grace Zabriskie? She did a lot of work with David oh, Lynch. Th- yeah, Sarah Palmer. Twin Peaks. Do- I'm an idiot. <laughs> I even looked her up <laughs> as well, I was watching the movie. Wild at heart. Because I always get her yeah. and the lady She's from Requiem the... for a Dream mixed up. Jennifer Connelly? Yes, Jennifer <laughs> Connelly. Yeah, that's it. I'm so oh, That's a wrap. I'm so glad that... No. Nailed it. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh... The mom. Grace Zabriskie wasn't in this movie nearly enough for my taste. But no, no, but it, it is populated by some great character actors. And by the way, did either of you catch Jim Caviezel? This is his first film. He's at he's at the the hotel. I he's a desk that. clerk. Mm-hmm. Has one line. Yeah. Hmm. I I hadn't seen this movie in forever, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Because I didn't know who he was back then. No one did. <laughs> he didn't even Ellen know. He didn't. Bernstein. He had no idea who he was Bernstein. Yeah, yeah. Alan Bernstein. Oh, Alan Bernstein. Bernstein. Yeah. Requiem uh, is one of those movies that I have. will see. I've seen I once. I have it. no particular interest I in watching it. it ever again. I want to do a triple bill of that train spotting and enter the void because I hate myself and Why not enter the dragon. God. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I thought for I a second hoping. she was going for enter no, the dragon. Enter the but void. Then she said, enter and the, the void. Like, enter the ninja. Franco Nero. <laughs> no? Shokasugi. Yeah. What would the correlation between those other two films and that one even be? That's just. Enter the ninja. Three ninja the possession. Three the domination. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Domination, which is that's the one where she gets yes, possessed by the yes. spirit of the ninja. Though, that's right? the one, Lucinda Dickey from Breaking. Okay, yeah. Lucinda Dickey, because that because I saw she that did all one three first. of those movies in the same year, nineteen ninety four. Breaking one and two happened in the same year, and so did Ninja Three: The Domination. Wow, I just love the canon ninja movies. So you have Ninja Three: The Domination, then you have American Ninja Two: The Confrontation, <laughs> and American Ninja Four: The Annihilation. And then there was American Baby Ninja, The Inoculation. No. If it's not a baby ninja, I don't want anything <laughs> to do with it. <laughs> I just realized you're being a facetious asshole. <laughs> inoculation. Well, I, no, I need, to th- we need to think of a way to wrap this one up now. Somehow segue back into Idaho. and. I really enjoyed it, it, if that's um, anything. Oh, I thought the sex scenes were done awesomely. Oh, the the still photography. How else would you yes, do those yeah. things without it being? Which isn't that. still photography. It's just them posed. That's what the great thing yeah. about it is. Yeah. Like at the end of Police Squad, when they were all <laughs> just stand there and try to keep still while the credits. Frank Drebin's well, holding funny. the well, coffee cup. In this case, cup. it's a it's a sex scene. Yeah. And he's because filling it. They, yeah. <laughs> when they first had the maybe scene, that's where he got the idea. Maybe I don't know. he was influenced uh, by Zucker and Abraham. <laughs> when they first had the scene with Hans, I thought it was just um them being weird but then when he had the scene with the uh the girl yeah. in italy i realized that that was just how they were portraying the sex scene no it's very cool mm-hmm. yeah i've not seen anybody else do mm-hmm. that but i don't know how anybody else could do that without getting oh you stole that from police squad or from <laughs> all those sex Diana. scenes in police you know, squad. it's actually van sand is like tired of the comparison Stop to it. the zazz world i would be you know i totally would be tired of that too yeah He's like, not again. 
Oh, thank you. I tried to bring it back, and then you guys—you guys took it away. How dr- drugstore cowboy was just a ripoff of Catholic high school girls in trouble from Kentucky. Oh, there you I go. Really good things about <laughs> drugstore cowboys. And also Catholic high school girls in trouble. In trouble, yeah. Especially the balloon sound effects. <laughs> See, now it's got me thinking of that's Armageddon, and I don't know what to do. I keep trying to bring it back. I know we need to bring this back that's Armageddon. Me. We need George this Lazenby. This not on me. George Lazenby. Donald Sutherland. BS. Did you say George Lazenby? BS. No, you did. You'll be oh. scared shitless. Hi. That's Samuel L. Bronkowitz presents. <laughs> and we forgot to talk about Peter Fonda at one point was attached to this, but he goes, I don't, I already did Idaho transfer. I don't want the comparison. He's not. I, I love that Jason was like, really? And then it was like, mm, never mind. I see what's happening He's here. Like, huh? You got to You got to go ahead and like this. You got to go ahead and tee it up for him. I mean, you got, I mean, we don't have to. <laughs> We, do, we don't. <laughs> You're welcome. With that, we should probably draw this one to a close. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual to have fun with anyone. Thank you for listening to yet another exciting episode. The Smooth Thrills Radio Hour is a production of Ghostcraft and is recorded live in Dallas, Texas. Please email your questions and comments to autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com or drop us a message on Instagram. Enjoy the rest of your day. If you should ever want to be loved by anyone It's not unusual, it happens every day no matter what you say, you'll find it happens all the time. This has been a Ghostcraft presentation. Get out of the state you're in!